You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The DOJ shuts down the war zone, rat. Ransomware hits over 20 Romanian hospitals and Ricida gets a decryptor. Canada may ban the Flipper Zero. Chinese espionage claims against the U.S. are light on facts. Australia looks to criminalize doxing. Federal IT leaders seek better coordination with CISA and the JCDC. Wired looks at the effect of cyber attacks on inequality. Our guest is Manny Felix, founder and CEO of U.S. Cyber Initiative, sharing their work in unlocking cyber career opportunities for young people. And this thumb drive will self-destruct in five seconds. It's Monday, February 12th, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Happy Monday, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We are glad to have you with us. The U.S. Justice Department has taken decisive action against the distribution of Warzone remote access Trojan malware which enabled cybercriminals to exploit victims' devices for data theft and surveillance. Authorities shut down the warzone.ws website and three related domains and unveiled indictments against individuals in Malta and Nigeria involved in the malware's sale and support. Daniel Melly, 27, from Malta, was arrested and charged with offering malware services since 2012, including Warzone and Pegasus, with a U.S. court seeking his extradition. Prince Onyizori Odinakashi, age 31, from Nigeria, was also arrested, charged with hacking and providing customer support for war zone purchasers. The operation saw collaboration across international law enforcement, including the FBI, Europol, and agencies from multiple countries, leading to the disruption of war zones' infrastructure. Meli faces up to 25 years in prison and a minimum fine of $500,000, while Odinakachi could face 15 years and a similar fine. 
A ransomware attack over the weekend targeted a medical management and patient data software platform in Romania, used by at least 21 hospitals, rendering the system offline by encrypting its database. The Romanian Ministry of Health announced that the attack is under investigation with the aid of IT and cybersecurity experts from the National Cybersecurity Directorate as they explore recovery options and implement precautionary measures for unaffected hospitals. The attack impacted various medical centers, including emergency, oncology, and cardiovascular hospitals. There's currently no information about the ransomware group responsible or whether patient data was compromised. The software provider, RSC, has not commented on the incident. Meanwhile, Korean researchers have created a decryptor for files encrypted by Ricida ransomware, known for attacks on high-profile targets since May 2023. The decryptor's development hinged on analyzing the ransomware's use of the LibTom Crypt Library and its pseudo-random number generator for key and initialization vector generation. The breakthrough was identifying the PRNG's reliance on the ransomware's execution time, allowing the researchers to predict the encryption key and vector by the order of files encrypted and the random numbers generated. This research marks the first successful decryption of Ricida ransomware, offering hope for mitigating its impact. Canadian officials are poised to ban the sale and use of the Flipper Zero, a popular hacking tool, due to concerns over its potential for malicious use, particularly in escalating car thefts. Announced by Minister François-Philippe Champagne, the ban aims to curb the rising trend of vehicle thefts, which see around 90,000 cars stolen annually, costing the country approximately $1 billion. The Flipper Zero, which retails at about $170, is a versatile device capable of testing vulnerabilities in various wireless networks and systems. While it's marketed toward tech enthusiasts and white hat hackers for penetration testing, its misuse has raised alarms, leading to its impending prohibition in Canada. This move highlights the ongoing challenge of balancing the empowerment of ethical hacking with the prevention of technology's nefarious applications. Critics of Canada's pending prohibition wonder why officials aren't focusing their energy on improving automobile security. Researchers at Sentinel-1 highlight the fact that when Western cybersecurity reports detail nation-state espionage, especially linking such activities to China, the reports base their claims on thorough technical evidence. In contrast, Chinese claims about Western espionage, particularly from the U.S., lack this level of detail, relying more on policy-driven narratives than on technical proof. This discrepancy has been a consistent pattern with Chinese cybersecurity entities typically refraining from publishing in-depth technical data, instead echoing information from foreign sources or leaked U.S. documents. This approach shifted slightly in 2021 when China began to more actively disseminate narratives about U.S. cyber operations, yet still without presenting new technical evidence. Recent allegations from China about U.S. hacking including claims of targeting the Wuhan Earthquake Monitoring Center, remain unsubstantiated. The narrative push appears more propaganda-driven than based on factual analysis, highlighting a strategic play by China 
to frame the U.S. negatively in the global cybersecurity discourse without adhering to the evidentiary standards expected in Western cybersecurity circles. This dynamic underscores a broader geopolitical contest in the domain of cyber intelligence and information warfare, where the balance between making public accusations and providing concrete evidence remains a contentious issue. Speaking of China, Duke Energy is set to decommission and phase out Chinese energy storage batteries at a major Marine Corps base and its civilian projects, amid U.S. concerns over potential network vulnerabilities to Chinese government-linked hackers. The decision marks a shift in Duke Energy's strategy, aiming to replace battery technology from China firm CATL with domestic or allied suppliers by 2027, reflecting broader U.S. efforts to secure critical infrastructure and support a robust American supply chain. Despite industry views that Chinese battery cells may not pose significant security risks, concerns over the potential for hacking through battery communication systems have prompted legislative actions to limit the use of Chinese-produced batteries in U.S. defense applications starting in 2027. Australia is set to introduce new federal laws to criminalize doxing, the malicious publication of private information online. The effort was announced by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese in response to activists publishing the names and details of hundreds of Jewish individuals by anti-Zionist activists, sparking widespread condemnation. These changes, aimed at protecting personal privacy, will make it a criminal offense to engage in doxing, with exemptions for public interest journalism. The government's rapid response also includes plans to develop stronger laws against hate speech, reflecting a commitment to counter the rise of anti-Semitism and other forms of religious or faith-based targeting in Australia. This move has been welcomed by community leaders and marks a significant step in bolstering privacy and anti-hate speech protections at the federal level in Australia. Federal IT officials have called for improved coordination and stricter security standards from the Security and Infrastructure Security Agency and its Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. While acknowledging CISA's critical role in federal cybersecurity, tech leaders from the Treasury Department and the Department of Veterans Affairs stressed the need for more aggressive and common operating standards rather than voluntary participation. They highlighted gaps in information sharing, especially regarding vulnerabilities and threat indicators from cloud service providers and major vendors. The officials also emphasize the importance of a centralized cyber defense strategy and better preparation against cyber threats, including those posed by artificial intelligence and machine learning. Collaboration within the JCDC involving various federal and private entities was recognized as positive but still developing. The JCDC has unveiled its 2024 priorities, reflecting a unified effort among public, private, and international partners towards key cybersecurity outcomes. Building on the previous year's agenda, the JCDC introduces three main focus areas, defending against advanced persistent threat operations, with a special emphasis on threats from entities affiliated with the People's Republic of China, raising the cybersecurity baseline to protect critical infrastructure and reduce the impact of ransomware, and anticipating emerging technology risks particularly the cybersecurity challenges posed by artificial intelligence. 
These priorities aim to enhance the collective defense posture, support innovation in cyber defense, and ensure technology is secure by design. A story in Wired from Nicole Tisdale makes the case that cyber attacks are exacerbating inequalities, impacting over 39 million people in 2023 through healthcare-related breaches alone and disproportionately affecting marginalized communities, including low-income families, communities of color, veterans, people with disabilities, and immigrants. These attacks target essential pillars of society, such as healthcare, economic opportunity, education, and democratic participation, creating a civil rights crisis. Cyber criminals exploit vulnerabilities, leading to identity theft, financial fraud, and erosion of trust in crucial services. Notably, healthcare breaches have sown distrust among communities historically mistreated by medical systems, while economic attacks have stolen millions from public assistance funds, affecting those in financial hardship. Educational institutions face ransomware threats, compromising sensitive student information and threatening equitable access to education. Cyber operations also undermine democratic participation using AI-powered disinformation to suppress minority votes and sow distrust in the electoral process. Tisdale concludes that addressing these cyber threats requires a concerted effort to build inclusive defenses and incorporate civil rights perspectives into cybersecurity strategies, emphasizing the urgent need for a comprehensive response to secure digital access and equity for all communities. Coming up after the break, our guest, Manny Felix, founder and CEO of the U.S. Cyber Initiative, shares their work in unlocking cyber career opportunities for young people. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. 
That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show Manny Felix. He is the founder and chief executive officer of the AZ Cyber Initiative. That's a nonprofit that's dedicated to unlocking career opportunities for young people who are interested in cyber and emergent technology. Manny, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dave. So let's start out with a little bit of your origin story here in terms of the AZ Cyber Initiative. What prompted you to start this organization? It really started once I enlisted in the United States Navy upon graduating from, from college. I majored in a political science degree and with another double major in Spanish translation interpretation. And shortly after graduated, I actually enlisted and my my job or my rate within the, the Navy was actually a cryptologic technician for networks, for Navy networks. So I was in charge of and went through a training of how to protect the Navy's networks. And that was what really introduced me and started my awareness and exposure to the field of cybersecurity. And upon completing that training, every job that I had since then was around cybersecurity, uh, working for, for as a government contractor, uh, working for, for industry and management consulting, or even uh, working for in the startup area within cybersecurity as well. Just all those, and in the military, all those backgrounds in cybersecurity led me to the conclusion and to the realization that I always wish I would have learned about cybersecurity and perhaps even had the opportunity to brush up on my technical skills that I think would have helped me advance much sooner and much faster in my career, especially on the path where I was I was finding myself within this industry. And I thought to myself, I'm hoping that no other student has to go through this realization too late into their career, I would want them instead to learn early on and have the preparation, the awareness, so they can start to develop those skills early on. And for when they're in my position, they're way more advanced and and uh, set for success in whatever they choose to pursue. Well, take me through that moment when you decided to start the nonprofit itself. I mean, what what were your feelings going into it? There were many feelings. One, it, it really started at the peak of COVID in, in late 2020. I had just commissioned as, a, as an officer earlier in that year. And I, when I came back, one of the, while well, the entire world was sort of figuring out what was happening and what the next day would look like, there was a lot of uncertainty happening. But I recall feeling when I, when I was at the training in Newport, Rhode Island, I was surrounded by other individuals and service members that were also commissioning, but were just so mission-driven and impact-driven in their own fields and in their own careers. I remember feeling inspired by those people and, and I held on to that feeling. And I started to figure out how I could combine my passion of looking for ways to help others and trying to bring that awareness that I mentioned earlier of bringing cybersecurity literacy and awareness uh, and for the different job paths as well. And that's how I ultimately decided to, to start the nonprofit. 
Well, let's talk about the day-to-day of the organization. I mean, how, how do you interact with the folks who benefit from your services? Uh, and what's the range of services you provide? Sure. The way that we interact has truly evolved since we initially started. So I, I, like I said, we started at the height of the pandemic. So while I started to structure the organization in, in late 2020, our first, what we call cyber bootcamp, wasn't organized or it didn't take place until the summer of 2021. And the cyber bootcamp, what that is, it's, it's a program, a week-long program that is designed for high school students so they can learn cybersecurity fundamentals and also get to hear from different industry and professionals, whether they're in industry, public sector, they're in military, they're entrepreneurs, they've exited companies, or they're, they're in marketing for a cybersecurity company or for a cybersecurity role. They get to hear from, from their journey as well as get to ask some questions about how, you know, what were some of the skills or activities they were doing in high school and find ways for the students to draw connections to those skills and aptitudes. And hopefully they can start to identify a path for themselves. And that was virtual. And as COVID started to be a little bit behind us, we shifted to an in-person cyber bootcamp program. And then for the following summer, summer of 2022, we had five in-person cyber boot camps. And we choose these in different locations throughout the state, often in a university campus or a community college. And we want to choose these locations where students can start to see themselves and think of higher higher ed or what, what they want to do upon graduation. All of this being said is that we, we now offer basically cyber boot camps whenever there is no school. So think summer break, fall break, and spring break. Hmm. We're able to really supplement and augment the learning that is happening during schools or actually the lack of cyber learning that is happening in high schools or in all K-12 institutions. And we bring that awareness during this time. But what we learned is that many students were interested in learning more about cybersecurity and how to get into this field after they completed the cyber bootcamp. So then we started to think, all right, this this is going beyond a one-week program. Students are really interested in finding themselves invested in this career and they want to learn more. And schools just didn't have the resources sometimes in, in funding or sometimes with, they don't have the teachers that are helping out with their CTE programs. And so they're not able to find a champion in their in their schools or sometimes even at home that is helping them pursue or continue to learn about cybersecurity. And that responsibility sort of falls on us. And we're very happy to take on that challenge because since then we've found ways to to partner with different nonprofits and, and organizations to bring internship opportunities for students that want to really learn how to be professional working, quote unquote, working adults, right? That they get real hands-on experience, although they're held, they're held virtually, but uh, they're doing project management related work. They're working towards deliverables or they're working in teams or learning public speaking skills. They're presenting to real customers, whether they're small or medium-sized businesses, and they're meeting their deadlines and they're getting paid for it. And that's, that's the real value of what we've been able to accomplish, I think, is 
identifying the students that are not just learning about cybersecurity and they're getting a stipend upon completing that week-long boot camp, we're asking them to take some time off from, from other responsibilities or some of them, some of the students that we serve. Majority are of minority students, and therefore they're there's very likely a reality of many of these students means that they have to take some days off work in order to participate in this program. And the stipend really helps supplement some of that income that they, that they may be otherwise missing out if they go to work. Right. It's my understanding that uh, you have some aspirations here of, uh, of growth. Yes. Again, we, we've, we've recognized there's a lot of interest not just within the state, but we've presented in different conferences and, and events. And we've had the pleasure of meeting many individuals from different schools, different uh, from out of state that have been wondering how we can bring AZ Cyber into, into their states or into their communities. And for the, long, for the longest time, <laughs> it was, I always, I hated giving this answer. I, I did not want to be the bearer of bad news and say that we only offer this currently for Arizona students, but we're very fortunate that this coming April, we're actually piloting and doing our first expansion into San Diego, which means that we're becoming a, a national organization. We're really growing into what is now becoming U.S. Cyber Initiative. And we're hoping that through this, through this new approach and through our new mission, we can continue to, to bring our, our model and our lessons learned and our successes everything that we've learned over the last couple of years into different communities and schools that are looking to replicate what, what we've been able to accomplish in Arizona and into, their, and into their backyards and into their homes. So students at the end of the day are the ones that are really benefiting from, from this, this kind of program and this kind of work. But it really trickles into not just youth, but it also helps educators and it helps community. It's helping build people who are cyber, cyber aware or great digital citizens. They have the, the cyber knowledge and skills, and then they pass on that knowledge to their parents and grandparents, which are often the ones that are being most targeted against uh, cyber attacks and ransomware attacks. We're very excited that our, our mission is able to reach a, now a national audience. And we're, we're excited to what this opportunity can, can lead to. Manny Felix is the founder and chief executive officer of the AZ Cyber Initiative. Manny, thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Thank you for having me, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And finally, our gadgets desk tells us about the overdrive USB stick, nearing its crowdfunding target on crowd supply. The device features a self-destruct mechanism that can heat its flash chip to 100 degrees Celsius, offering a Mission Impossible-style data protection. Developed by Ryan Walker of Interrupt Labs, it includes a unique privacy feature where data remains hidden unless the device is inserted in a specific manner. Manufacturing challenges led to retaining the self-destruction circuitry without activation by default, encouraging DIY enhancements for interested users. Overdrive is aimed at journalists, security experts, and open hardware enthusiasts, especially in regions with encryption restrictions. It has achieved 83% of its $3,500 goal with 24 days remaining in the campaign. Ethan Hunt, call your office. This table self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment on Jason and Brian's show every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. 
SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 